This is Leah. This is Haley. And you're listening to Looks That Kill. Hello. What's up, everyone? I just have to say, I always feel so calm before Haley pushes record and start, and then you're like, okay, are you ready? And then I get so, I get so nervous that I feel out of breath for the first five minutes before I calm down. Yeah, we might as well be standing in like Neyland <laughs> Stadium in front of the whole world, even though we're just in my kitchen. <laughs> I'm like- wearing my pajamas. I haven't washed my face or brushed my teeth or anything. It feels like public speaking. <laughs> Like in front of nobody public speaking in front of nobody <laughs> yeah i don't know if it'll ever not feel like that but i think i do think it's getting better yeah i feel like i feel like our confidence and in, in, in uh less we're getting less nervous and our confidence is getting higher as we go but i still feel out of breath i'm trying to like collect myself and just not huff and puff into the <laughs> mic <laughs> and be like i'm out of breath like i've been running a marathon okay <laughs> again it just this is fails. happening and my headphones are getting caught on the mic and just okay here we go okay deep breath this is the case of robert hansen aka bob also aka the butcher baker um, bob the butcher baker i know <laughs> bob the butcher baker i had to with the bob the builder anyway he was mostly referred to i feel like as interchangeably as robert or bob um there was a movie made about this case called frozen ground and the book that i read in preparation for today's case was called the butcher baker by wait a minute is this the the alaskan mm-hmm. oh dang it i was gonna cover this at some point oh really it's okay i told you oh gosh what panic <laughs> i thought i told you this <laughs> no. is what i was covering <laughs> well i heard you but i didn't put two and two together that, that was who this was but when you said that about the ground i was like anyways i'm glad you're covering it okay it's gonna be interesting i I love this case (laughs) sorry i didn't mean to yank that one from you (laughs) no it is totally good i'm excited now i mean Um, i'm always excited but yes it's it's a crazy one um the the book called the butcher baker was by leland e hale and walter gilmore Robert Christian Hansen was born on February 15, 1939, in Esterville, Iowa. He's the oldest of two children. His mother, Edna, is American, and his dad, Christian, is Danish. And not much is really known about Hansen's relationship with his mother. Um, but Hansen's father owned a bakery in town and hoped that his son would one day take over the business. And uh, Hansen's father was described as a very domineering, very strict, and Hansen seemed to not be interested at all in the family business, but he was forced by his dad to work in the bakery. Um, the Hansen family moved to Richmond, California in 1942, but returned back to Iowa in 1949. And young Robert Hansen had a rough start in life. He was very shy, and his father, of course, forced him to work these very long hours at the bakery. He had a bad stutter and severe acne that left him with permanent scarring. He was rejected many times by women, and he was mocked and bullied because of his stutter, and he didn't seem to have much of a social life. He was described as being a loner and had a very difficult relationship with his father, who seemed impossible to please. 
Hansen was also naturally left-handed, but his father forced him to be right-handed and would often remind him that he was worthless. And so after a while, <laughs> Hansen, I know. Is, what a weird thing to be picky about. Exactly. Like, who cares? Exactly. Especially about that. I've never understood the whole, like, and I've seen this in multiple things where where people who are left-handed, I guess, back in like 40s, 50s, were forced to be right-handed, and it just makes no sense to me. Makes no sense. Um, so his dad was very hard on him, and of course, forcing him to write with his non-dominant hand. Um, so after a while, Hanson was convinced that he was worthless because he had heard it so much from his dad, and he started to think that maybe his dad was right. And a psychologist later said that Hanson's parents may have caused his stuttering from all the overbearing ridiculousness. Um, and Hanson soon found a passion in hunting and archery and found refuge in these activities, channeling his rage and fantasies of vengeance into the sport of hunting and killing animals. In 1957, Hansen enlisted in the army, hoping to leave his troubled past behind and make a new life for himself, but he only served one year before being discharged, and after being discharged, he returned to Iowa and worked as an assistant drill instructor with the Pocahontas Police Department in Iowa. thought that was interesting. Pocahontas Police Department. Um, I couldn't find why he was discharged. I, that, I, it just says that he was discharged. I couldn't find any details on that, but... Seemed to be, maybe, I guess, not for a bad reason, but I don't know for sure. Um, Hansen got married at some point in 1960, but very little is known about his first wife other than her parents were not happy about her marriage. And in December of 1960, at 21 years old, the intense desire for revenge came to a head when Hansen convinced a young man who was 16 and worked at the bakery to help him burn down a school bus garage. It didn't take long for the young boy to confess, to, and then after he confessed, police arrested Hansen for burning down a Pocahontas County school bus garage. And his reason, you're probably thinking, why would he burn down a school bus garage? Uh, because he said he was getting revenge for his unpopularity and mental anguish he endured while he was in high school. Because arson after three years of your after your graduation, you know, apparently fixes your problems, but okay. He only served 20 months out of a three-year prison sentence in Anamosa State Penitentiary. And I just need to make a side note here. Every time I would reread Anamosa, I was like, amnesia. Am <laughs> Those words are not even similar, but anyway. I'm just happy you can say penitentiary because <laughs> I feel like if I were trying to say that in a case, I would really struggle. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky word, faux show. During his incarceration, he was diagnosed with manic depression with periodic schizophrenic episodes. The psychiatrist who made the diagnosis had noted that Hansen had a infantile personality who was obsessed with getting back at people who he felt like had wronged him. Hansen's wife also filed for divorce while he was in jail, and they had only been married for about six months. So he went to jail and she said, no, thank you. See. <laughs> see 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 you later, later. <laughs> and her parents were like score we didn't want you to be married to that guy 
Over the next few years, Hansen was in and out of jail several times for petty theft, and he also remarried in 1963 to a woman named Darla Hendrickson. Darla was a very religious woman, and she got her master's degree in education and tutored children for income. They also had children together at some point, but I couldn't find a lot of details about their kids. Um, but in 1967, um, Hansen moved him and his wife, Darla, and their two young children to Anchorage, Alaska for a fresh start. Since Hansen was so busy, you know, building a great reputation for himself as a kleptomaniac and arsonist, um, he's like, I need a fresh start where no one knows who I am and I can start over. Once they moved to Alaska, Hansen decided to continue the family business and open his own bakery in Anchorage. He was well-liked by his neighbors, known as a bakery owner and a normal family man, and he had set several local hunting records, and underneath that facade, Hansen still had the same desires for revenge. Nothing had changed. He was just in a different location. Okay, sorry, I had to take a momentary pause there. Um, sorry if my audio sounded weird. My mic was starting to drop, and I was syncing with it, trying to keep... <laughs> Trying to keep my mouth. <laughs> Leah looked like a turtle, like going back into her shell. <laughs> I didn't see it happen necessarily, like in real time, but I could definitely tell that she was like shrinking. <laughs> so anyway, I was trying. Problem is now solved, you know, or at least for the time being. Yes, I just don't think I had the mic tightened. It just kept sinking and sinking, and oh gosh, that was that was funny. Okay, so they have relocated to Anchorage, Alaska, new bakery. Okay. So, in December of 1972, Hansen was arrested twice for abducting and attempting to rape a housewife, and then again for raping a sex worker. He pleaded no contest to the assault with a deadly weapon in the offense involving the housewife, but the rape charge involving the sex worker was dropped as part of a plea bargain. Hansen was sentenced to five years in prison, and his wife, Darla, would go visit him in jail and bring their kids to go see him. And Hansen was also, I read in, um, in an article that Hansen was very verbally abusive to Darla and their kids. And he said that he knew Darla was, of course, like horrified and very embarrassed by all of it. But she still stayed by his side. And after serving six months of his sentence, he was placed on a work release program and related to a halfway house. In 1976, Hansen pled guilty to larceny after he was caught stealing a chainsaw from an Anchorage Fred Meyer store. He was sentenced to five years in prison and required to receive psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder. It's never good when somebody with bipolar steals a chainsaw. I know. And and I believe in the book that um, he had said he, he stole it because he was like, I'm getting it for my dad. He really needs a chainsaw. I'm like, well, why are you stealing it? He's. You also hate your dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a terrible cover story because I'm pretty sure everyone knew that his relationship with his dad was kind of patchy, patchy, but. The Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence and he was released with time served. Darla said she knew her husband was up to no good, but she thought it was just hiring sex workers and that it didn't really go beyond that. Darla thought that she could help him by getting him to attend church with her and that didn't last long no matter how many times she tried doing that. 
After many years of marriage, they eventually started living separate lives. Darla had her own money and they kept their finances separate. She was paying all of their bills with her income only. And she would go on vacations and take the kids and, you know, visit her family and stuff and leave Hanson behind because she was under the impression that it was to run the bakery. In 1983, a 17-year-old girl named Cindy Paulson was found running frantically down 6th Avenue in handcuffs and barefoot. Cindy was rescued by a truck driver who stopped to help her and get her to safety. When police talked to Cindy about what happened, she said that Hanson offered her $200 to perform oral sex. And when she got into the car, he pulled out a gun and drove her to his home in Muldoon. There, he raped and tortured her, and then afterwards, he chained her by her neck to a post in the basement, and then just took a nap on the couch nearby while he had this woman chained up. When he woke up after he, or I'm sorry, when he woke up, he handcuffed her, put her into his car, and took her to Merrillfield Airport, where he told her that he intended to take her to his cabin which basically was a rundown shack in the Kinnick River area of the Matanuska Sussana Valley. Oh my god, that good job. <laughs> that sounded pretty good. I did I did like the the Google how to pronounce Matanuska Matanuska was pretty self-explanatory, but Susitna, Susitna, I was like, well, I'm just going to give it my best shot on this one. <laughs> somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I- exactly. In BFE. BFE Alaska. BFE Alaska. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Uh, this specific BFE area of Alaska was only <laughs> accessible by boat or bush plane. And a bush plane is a type of airplane that was created to land on rough terrain and has really large tires. So, It's pretty similar, I guess, to, you know, an off-roading truck, but just in the sky. Hanson's plane was a Piper Super Cub, and while Hanson's back was turned, Cindy crawled out of the back seat of the car and opened the driver's side door and ran towards nearby 6th Avenue barefoot. Hanson chased her on foot, but Cindy made it to the street and flagged down a trucker to help her. The trucker was a man named Robert and he was very alarmed at Cindy's appearance um, because she was, you know, half naked, barefoot, and looking very scared and disheveled. Um, And he stopped to help, and um, he picked her up, and he drove her to the Mush Inn, and she jumped out and ran inside and asked the clerk inside to call her boyfriend, which was her pimp, so her boyfriend slash pimp. Um, Yunt continued on driving after she was safely inside and he called the police to report what happened. And by the time police had arrived at the Mush Inn, the clerk told them that Cindy had taken a cab to the Big Timber Motel where her boyfriend slash pimp was at. So the police um, left there and they went to the motel and found Cindy still handcuffed, frightened and alone. And I'm assuming her pimp left her there alone because I read somewhere that he wanted to go beat Hanson for doing that to her. So he essentially left to go find him and hunt him down and whoop him. Cindy told the police everything, and but the only name that she was able to give them was Bob because that's all he told her about his, his name. Um, but when she described her attacker's stutter, identified his plane, and she had com- she had described his appearance spot on, and she was able to tell them a lot of details. And of course, uh, she left her shoes in the back of his car as evidence. 
smart girl because I was I would think in that moment I don't know how you think about leaving evidence but she did she kicked off her shoes and just ran the police were hesitant to bring him in because of course you know he was known as Bob the baker the family man the local business owner the good friend you know blah 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 uh, because they found that Robert Hansen matched exactly those descriptions, but they were, of course, when they were thinking about bringing him in, they were like, I don't know, he seems like an okay guy. But later, when Hansen was eventually brought in and questioned by police, he denied the accusation, stating that Cindy was just trying to cause trouble because he would not pay her extortion demands. Although Hansen had several run-ins with the police in his past, he passed his passive personality and occupation as a baker and alibi from his friend, John Henning kept him from being considered a suspect because he had his buddies lying for him. The Alaska state troopers were convinced a serial killer was on the loose because several missing sex workers and exotic dancers were missing and troopers were starting to find bodies. For a long time, Hanson was just known around Anchorage as a local bakery owner who had a skill for bow hunting. And he was actually very, very skilled and had, in the den of his home, he had several hunting trophies, you know, all over the walls and displayed. And then he had some of the animals mounted on the walls as well. And he actually also set a few bow hunting records. Detective Glenn Floth had been part of a team of investigating the discovery of several bodies found in around the Anchorage and around the Anchorage, Seward, and Matanuska, Sessitna Valley area. The first of the bodies was found by construction workers near Eklutna Road. The body was dubbed Eklutna Annie by investigators, and as of today, she has still not been identified. Later that year, the body of Joanna Messina was discovered in a gravel pit near Sioux. I can't ever tell if it's Seward or Seward. I'm going with Seward. In 1982, the remains and the remains of 23-year-old Sherry Moreau were discovered in a shallow grave near the Kinnick River. Floth believed that all three women had been murdered by the same person, and in September of 1983, Paula Golding's body was found around the same area and very similar to how Sherry Moreau was found. Floth contacted FBI Special Agent John Douglas and requested help with an offender profile based on the three recovered bodies, and Douglas thought that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his murders. And he also suggested that this person may also have a stutter. I have no idea how they figured all that out for a profile, but he was spot on. Spot on. Using this profile, Floth investigated possible suspects until he reached Hansen, who fit the profile and owned a plane. With Cindy's report and Douglas's profile, Floth and the APD secured a search warrant of Hansen's home, plane, and vehicle. And on October uh, 27th of 1983, investigators uncovered jewelry belonging to some of the missing women, as well as an array of firearms in a corner hideaway of Hansen's attic. And also found behind the headboard of a bed was an aeronautical chart with 24 X marks on it. Behind the headboard that he shared the bed with his wife. Just so messed up. 
Many of these marks match sites where bodies had been found previously, and the map was used to locate most of the other bodies. When Hansen was confronted with the evidence found in his home, he denied it as long as he could, but eventually began to blame the women and tried to justify his actions. Dumbass. He did, after some time, confess to each item of evidence as it was presented to him, and he admitted to a spree of attacks against Alaskan women starting in 1971. Oh, boy. So this is almost, this is over 10 years of of attacking women, murdering women. So awful. So for over 10 years, Hansen had been targeting sex workers and exotic dancers. His MO was to pick up a sex worker or a dancer in his car and force them at gunpoint to come to his house where he would rape them and assault them. And then he would fly them in his plane to a secluded area, which was usually the Knick River, where he would release the woman he kidnapped. And for for a moment, they had hoped that they would escape and they would, of course, take off running. And as they started running, he began tracking and hunting them down. And he took his time and hunted these poor women like animals. He would take his hunting knife and a 223 Ruger Mini 14 rifle and torture these women by hunting them. And this chase would take hours or days until he decided he would locate them and then he would shoot or stab them. And it just varied based on each person, but it, I couldn't find the longest amount of time, but I do know it. Some took days, some took days. It's believed by the authorities that Hansen's first murder victim was 18-year-old Celia Van Zanten. She was kidnapped on December 22nd and, of 1971, and she froze to death in the wilderness after escaping from Hansen. Her body was discovered on Christmas Day. While there are some similarities to Hansen's MO and Cecilia, I'm sorry, Celia's abduction, there is no conclusive evidence that he was her attacker and he himself denied involvement in her death. Hansen's earliest victims were girls or young women between the ages of 16 and 19 and not sex workers. Hansen is known to have raped and assaulted over 30 women and murdered at least 17, ages ranging from 16 to 41, although based on the evidence, police do suspect that he killed at least 21 women. Once he was arrested, Hansen was charged with assault, kidnapping, and multiple weapons offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. The last charge of insurance fraud was related to a claim that he filed with the insurance money. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The claim he filed with the insurance company over the alleged theft of some of his hunting trophies. And he used the money from the insurance payout to buy his plane. And at trial, he claimed he later discovered the trophies in his backyard, but forgot to form inform the insurer. And Hansen entered into a plea bargain after ballistic tests returned a match between bullets found at the crime scene and Hansen's rifle. And part of this plea bargain was that Hansen was only charged with four of the 17 murders that he confessed to. He pleaded guilty to the four homicides the police had evidence for, um, Moro, Messina, Goulding, and Eklutna Annie. 
and provided details about his other victims in return for serving his sentence in a federal prison, along with no publicity in the press. Another condition of the plea bargain was that his, partici- his participation in deciphering the markings on his aviation map and locating his victims' bodies. Hansen confirmed the police theory of how the women were abducted, adding that he would sometimes let a potential victim go if she convinced him that she wouldn't report him to the police. And he indicated that he began killing in the early 1970s. Hansen showed investigators 17 grave sites in and around South Central Alaska, 12 of which were unknown to the investigators. The, there remained marks on his map that he refused to give up, including three in Resurrection Bay near Seward, and authorities suspect two of these marks belong to the graves of Mary Thill and Megan Eric, whom Hansom denies killing. The remains of 12 of the probable 21 to 37 victims were exhumed by the police and returned to their families. Darla decided to eventually leave Anchorage and divorce Hansen. And after she left after the divorce was final because she obviously didn't want her children to grow up around all of the aftermath. And they were also being bullied at school because of it. February of 1984, Hansen was sentenced to 461 years in prison without the possibility of parole. He was first imprisoned at the United States Penitentiary, Lewisburg, in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. In 1988, he was returned to Alaska and briefly incarcerated at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau. He was also imprisoned at the Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward until May of 2014 when he was transported to the Anchorage Correctional Complex for health reasons. And Hansen died on August 21st, 2014 at age of 75 due to natural causes from lingering health conditions. And I found an update on one of the unidentified bodies found, an article by the Alaska Department of Public Safety in 2021. The Alaska Bureau of Investigation Cold Case Investigation Unit recently launched another attempt to identify one of Hansen's victims known as Horseshoe Harriet. A new DNA profile for the victim was generated and uploaded into a public access genealogy database. Utilizing several close matches, a family tree for the victim was constructed, and it was, also, it was assumed the woman may be Robin Pelkey. Robin was born in 1963 in Colorado, and additional research concluded that Robin would have been 19 at the time of her murder, and she had been living in Anchorage at the time that Hansen was active. But no records were found of her being reported missing. Police were able to contact one of Robin's relatives, and that relative provided a DNA sample, and the DNA confirmed that Horseshoe Harriet was Robin Pelkey. So they were at least able to find one. But like I said, Eklutna Annie is still um, still unidentified. They don't know who she is. But that is the case of Robert Hansen. Uh, thank you for listening today's, to today's episode. Please rate and review and subscribe and all those good things. A huge thank you to Colton Carnley with CX3 for all the help. And thank you to Colin who helps us get set up, who we actually had to call just before we started recording. We, As always, <laughs> something went wrong. <laughs> we were having technical difficulties and we're like, Colin, please help. 
But thank you so much to everyone who helps us.